This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. That was a little bit better. All right, welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today, it's our big midweek show that we do every Wednesday. That means that we are going to talk about news. We're going to hit some injuries from around the league. We're going to talk about some college football with Max Chadwick. We've got fantasy football tidbits and news coming up. And of course, we will be talking and previewing the Thursday night game between the Commanders and the Bears, which is sure to be a barn burner. Before all of that, Julius Lux is here to talk about the news. It's a light news day. Not not too much going on aside from injuries, so just a few things to bring up. How you doing, Julius? All is well on my end. Got a nice little Monday night football showdown the other day, so that was awesome to watch. Other than that, nothing much. How about you? Not too much, man. Um, just getting back comfortable in the rhythm of doing video. You know, we use the same format and everything for the audio podcast, but when you know there's a camera on you, somehow it's just... It's just a little bit different, and especially because mm-hmm. I have to edit this. I'm just going to have to look at my <laughs> look at all the weird faces I made. <laughs> all right. So a uh, couple of things today before we jump into it. Um, because it's such a light news day, I just wanted to get your feedback on the MLB playoffs as they stand, because I personally am out of the loop with baseball. In fact, I barely pay attention to any sport aside from NFL football. So how is that going? Who's who's doing well? Who's not? Um, I know. Uh, I know. Um, uh, oh, this is just to show you. What's his name again? The <laughs> the guy that just set the or tied the record for home runs. Um, Aaron Judge. Judge. And I know that too. I really, I actually do know that. But um, <laughs> so what's going on in the world of MLB baseball? Just as a little, you know different start to the show I'll give it, yeah I'll, I'll give it a nice easy comprehensible breeze for you so there was the wild card playoffs this weekend it's basically like that first round where the be- two best teams get the bye for football so it's pretty similar right. to baseball this is the first year they're implementing this so this is a very i like this format it's a little extra it's basically like the play-in for the nba to put that as well for anyone else trying <laughs> to get into like the new but um so the mariners had defeated the blue jays the in the guardians no longer the indians the guardians they defeated the rays the padres took down the mets so the 101 win Mets season was a waste of course so we love to see that the mets get a nice little extra meme to their life and the phillies defeated the cardinals which was kind of shocking but the phillies caught fire and played well so there were four games today and the phillies and braves let off the game today 7-6 Phillies. So the Phillies go up one nothing. This is a best of five. So you have to win three to move on to the um, the championship series round. Mm-hmm. The Astros came back. This really did not go well for me because I am a New York Yankees fan. So I dislike Houston Astros because of the cheating scandal. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah. But there was yeah, an incident yeah. a few years ago. And of course, it had to be against the Yankees, and I'm not uh, I'm not so thrilled with the Astros. And plus, the Astros are just always good. It it doesn't you know I'm not a fan of them. So <laughs> Seattle was winning the whole game, 
and then Houston hit a hit a walk-off home run. Jordan Alvarez, three-run shot to win the game for Houston to put them up one nothing. My Yankees won against the Guardians 4-1. to That was the most stressful couple hours of my life so far, as as the playoffs always are for my teams Whenever if they make it. And right now the Dodgers are winning 5 nothing against the Padres. I have it on the TV right over here. I can only keep up with one sport. I just because I'm all in. I'm, I live it. I breathe it. I wake up yeah, and I read about it. I fall asleep listening to it. Like <laughs> I am. I'm football through and through. It is. It is tough because I follow a bunch of them. So hockey opened up today, and the Rangers, who are my team, played against the Lightning. They won, so that was really nice to see. So I was flipping between the Yankees game, and when their commercials were going, I would check and see how the Rangers were doing. And it was kind of unfortunate because hockey... every. Didn't hockey just didn't didn't the hockey season just end? The hockey season ended back in June, June, July. Yeah, that, yeah, and yeah they had a really October short 1st. time. Yeah, they had a really short time. That's crazy. They had preseason. They had a bunch. They had like a a week or so of preseason too. Like they had a good amount of preseason games. What? That is insane. There's no off season for hockey. What? It seems like not. Yeah, it's it's insane. Cause I even I even was like, they're already back. Like it was insane how quick they just start their year. I don't know if it was because of a shortened season from I don't know if it was a whole COVID thing where they were gonna like put them back on the original schedule. Cause I know the season I think was a little delayed last year, I think. Yeah. I know basketball hockey, was. Hockey playoffs don't usually happen in June, right? It's usually before that. Typically, it, it'll go in June, but not solely really? into June, I think. Yeah, it's usually the NBA and NHL playoffs are at the same time, typically. It's only usually, three, I it's, think hockey ends early June normally, but it didn't end early June. Captivating I remember football the day, podcasting, I know. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're on topic right here, right, sport? Because I remember I was in Nashville when the Rangers got eliminated by the Lightning in game six of – the Eastern finals. And that was really tough. And I went to a bar that night to take my sadness away. But, <laughs> but, um, I, re- but I was also there for vacation. So I had to, I had to go out with my fr- friends that I went along with and the Stanley cup didn't, it, it ended by the time we got back to Florida. So it was, a, it was deep into June. It was like mid June. Hmm. All right. I feel like it just ended yesterday. I feel like it was like two weeks ago. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely was a quit. It was a breeze. Unless time's really flying by. Well, but it I is. Know for sure, <laughs> but I know still. for sure it is It is a short off season. All right. So you've got me up to speed with playoff baseball. You've blown my mind with NHL coming back this quickly, mm-hmm. um, which probably is not new. Probably this happens every single year, and I just do not pay any attention. But time to talk football. Just a couple pieces of news today. Hold on, don't don't get too excited. Let me let me get my drop ready. I've got all my my in <laughs> my in podcast sound drops now. I don't. I used to do it Let's all it. post post editing. There it is. Right into Go the dong it. drop. All right. <laughs> Deion Jones has been traded to the Cleveland Browns. The Falcons send a 2024 sixth rounder in return. This trade comes after the Browns allowed 465 yards on offense in their matchup versus the Chargers. So Cleveland gets some defensive help there. Their defense has been a bit disappointing. I mean, 
their starting linebackers are not even bad. They have Anthony Walker and um, Jeremiah Wusakoromoa and Sione Takitaki. Like, though, those are not bad linebackers. I mean, maybe somebody hurt, maybe somebody's hurt, but still, like, to be fair, it's only a sixth round pick, but like, it, generally speaking, that their offenses or their defense has been a bit underwhelming. So, um, not a huge price to pay, but still, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So at least they get a nice little boost there. Moving on to the final piece, because like we said, it was a light, light news day. Rams guard David Edwards has been placed on the IR after going through the concussion protocol for the second time in two weeks. He missed game four, uh, week four. Then he came into week five, thought he'd be good to go against Dallas, and then went down in that, so they want to play it safe, especially, of course, after all of the concussion news that we have been presented. I don't have to drop any more hints, but they, of course, want to play it safe. Two concussion protocols in two weeks, not very good. So we wish him the best. Yeah, not good. Definitely not good. Um, probably won't be back for a little while. That's... That's crazy, man. The NFL is really, it, it feels like they've had a lot of concussions even outside of the whole protocol thing, you know? And I think I mentioned before that I even felt like there were a number of times where I thought a guy, it looked like a guy took a good hit to the head. He got up a little slow, wasn't wobbling like Tua or anything, but but got up slow and, and then went off the field, got like checked in, in quotes. And, um, uh, and then ended up playing, which would kind of surprise me. Nothing so blatantly obvious as the Tua situation, but I kind of felt like that had been happening. So I, I'm I'm curious to see what the the stats are because the stats were saying that concussions are down, but maybe that's just maybe that's just reported concussions are down. I'm not sure there's been a real difference as far as that goes. So all right, yeah, um, not much news, just a little bit here and there. We're gonna jump right into some injuries with Kyle Trimble here coming up and. Julius, you'll be back with us tomorrow to go over the news from uh, from basically Wednesday because it'll be a Thursday show with all of the Wednesday news. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you until tomorrow? So you can find me on Twitter. That's GatChews44. GatChews44 on Twitter. You can find me on gridironheroics.com. You can see all my articles as well as the appearances I've made on the show. Facebook, you can find me just by searching my name, Julius Lux. Beautiful. We will see you very, very soon. We'll see you soon. And by the way, you did go in hard when that intro came in. I just have to give you props there. <laughs> yeah, second time's the charm, apparently. <laughs> apparently. And go Yankees for all my baseball fans that are listening to this. But let, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> let you go watch some some baseball. I'll let you, I'll let you escape now. Sounds good. All right, we are back with Kyle Trimble of Banged Up Bills, Doctor of Physical Therapy, and we are, do you like that? We are going to go over the injury news from this week of NFL action. It's week five, we had plenty more injuries, and we got lots to talk about. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Max. Thanks for having me on again. My pleasure. So we're we're uh, messing around with the format a little bit, so that's the first time Kyle has heard his uh, little sound drop live. <laughs> um Okay, man. So look, let's jump right into it. We got, like I said, we have plenty to talk about. So why don't you just start hitting me with all of the unfortunate news that we've uh, had this week? 
All right. So usually we start off in the AFC. I'm going to start off the AFC East again. Uh, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins dealing with Tua Tagovailoa and Teddy, Br- Teddy Bridgewater dealing with uh, concussions. Now, if you recall, we talked about Tua going down with his concussion. His supposedly second concussion in four days or five days from week three to week four on that short week. But due to that second concussion, he's looking to be out for an indefinite amount of time. Usually when we see concussions so close together, we look at more about a month from what I've seen from the research. But every concussion is unique. Um, so there's no timeline for him to come back. But they're saying he's not even able to do any aerobic exercises, which are then put near somewhere in between stage one, and stage two, that state, that five stage concussion protocol. So I wouldn't expect Tua back anytime soon. Unfortunately, the backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, is out with a concussion per the concussion protocol. Now, why I say that? Because they said he passed all the tests, was able to return, but one of the independent spotters that, that checked for concussions said that they saw him stumble, which under the new rules that they incorporated beginning this week, says that's a no-go. He cannot return to the game and has to enter the concussion protocol. So I understand that the rule is designed to protect the players. It is unfortunate that sometimes you see the interpretation of one person can impact how the the outcomes of that decision. We were seeing that before. We're seeing it now. We're just seeing kind of on both sides of the coin there. So I expect Teddy Bridgewater to pass through the concussion protocol as he needs to in order to play the next week, but they don't have a starter in place against the Vikings uh, heading into that week six matchup. So it's interesting how the rules changed and then the, the Dolphins are are still being hurt by it, but at the end of the day, the players are still being protected. So at the it's all for the greater good in that sense, but it's just really interesting how how that all impacted, especially the Dolphins there. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that it, it's not an exact science, and it, it really never will be. You know, there's no. always going to be the human element when it comes to that. But hopefully, hopefully, over the next few weeks, as this rule is implemented, it becomes utilized a little bit more effectively. I, I mean, I think anytime you institute a brand new rule mid-season, you're going to have some some situations like this, you know. Absolutely. And they said that they had to take time to re-educate all the doctors, athletic trainers, anybody that was on field that has to interpret these rules. So that's where they had to make sure that they were okay with that. So there might be some tweaks and some things how to apply what they're seeing. But at the end of the day, it should be player safety. But I know that sometimes player safety isn't factored in when they're saying, hey, that guy got taken out and now we're going to lose the game. And like, that just mm-hmm. fan bases can't wrap their head around it, but you got to keep these guys safe. Sometimes you got to keep them um, from themselves in that sense. Mm-hmm. So um, moving on in the AFC East, we had Damian Harris running back for the Patriots. He's out with a hamstring strain. They said that he's looking for a multi-week absence. He's looking for two to three weeks. Um, he did miss one game last year. He suffered with, with a hamstring strain. He suffered a hamstring strain against the Bills in that um, win game, if you guys recall, where the Patriots only threw three passes and beaten the Bills in their own stadium. So the fact that they're saying it's multi-week, he's probably looking at two or three games, like I said. Um, probably not enough to go on IR, which would be beneficial for him. We don't see too many hamstrings or true severity go to IR, but still certainly enough that we're 
even if he did try to play through it, he wouldn't get an explosion trying to get up the middle, wouldn't be able to cut on that particular side, whichever side it is, and he just wouldn't be too effective. So it's a Ramondre Stevenson, you know, season going on right now up in uh, New England. Yeah, yeah, and they have a rookie too that they'll probably lean on a little bit more now. Absolutely. So then we're going to move up to the AFC North. Uh, we have uh, Pat Fryermuth dealing with the concussion. Well, we just talked about concussions with Tua and Teddy. The concern with Fryermuth is that this is now his third concussion in a calendar year because he did have two late in the 2021 season, and now he's had this one. So they're, I, I don't know how they're going to interpret that, whether they say season to season or whether they say calendar year. But when you start having that many concussions in one uh, calendar year or that close together, then you start looking at the long-term health of these guys. So I don't know that he's going to be out for a season. It's nothing like that. But they're going to be more cautious about how they take him through this concussion approach because then you get to the point where if you bring him back through concussion protocol as you normally once would, then he suffers another one a few weeks later like he did last year. Then you're looking at four concussions in you know, two years. You're looking at, is it safe to continue playing? There's just more long-term ramifications. And this is why we see there's such a focus on the head injuries. So I don't expect Firemuth to be playing this Sunday. And I wouldn't be surprised if he misses another, you know, two games after that. But they want to be conservative with this. He's still a very young guy. He has a lot of talent. And they don't want to be rushing these guys back. And then they have to medically retire early because it becomes unsafe for them. And then um, the final part with that is uh, TJ Watt, too. Uh, he is still out with a pectoral injury. He was scheduled to come back after week five, but he had a uh, knee surgery. Um, this was a result of that hit that he suffered against the Lions in preseason. Uh, he got a low block from TJ Hawkinson on the left side. There was potential for maybe meniscus, maybe some um, articular damage. Uh, joint damage in there where basically they just lose bodies but cleaning up in there. There's not expected to keep him out too much longer, but still he's not going to come back and resume his dominant play as you know, he once was uh, prior to the pectoral injury. Yeah. Well, we talked about that one in the preseason as well. <laughs> he said that he, you know, might be trying to play through it, but it's always a little bit sketchy when you see a big guy, you know, have a knee. So, <laughs> I guess we're seeing that come to fruition at this point. Another one that you kind of called out there. Yeah, and you would you would think that they would have done this sooner after he went on IR with, uh, with went on IR with pectoral injury, but he might not have had any problems. And then as he started kind of ramp back up with his running and whatnot, it just wasn't ever kind of calming back down. So there's a mm -hmm. lot of decisions that go into why they do these procedures at that particular time, but. Um, once he does come back, he'll be fine. It's just a matter of making sure he gets fully healthy. And if you can fit that surgery in there now rather than waiting for it in December when it's really bothering you, um, I think that's better better in general there. Yeah, I think there was always kind of a short timeline for, for him anyway, probably. <laughs> so it probably isn't really adding, you know, probably not really adding much either way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to move over to the AFC West next. I'm going to... Uh, Russell Wilson, um, he's been really struggling this year in Denver uh, after inking that huge contract. He's dealing with a latissimus dorsi inflammation. So it's latissimus dorsi. It helps you to internally rotate the arm, which is that motion like if you have to reach behind your back. It helps you extend your arm, bringing your, your arm behind your back. Um, it's a pretty powerful muscle. We see it a lot in swimmers, like when they're trying to swim through, you see the guys, they're kind of just that, that V-shaped, if you will. So 
uh, just to give you an idea anatomically where it, where it is, but it does attach up at the uh, portion of the shoulder, which helps you move around with that. So he's having some inflammation in there. He got a PRP injection in Los Angeles to try to calm things down. It's not going to necessarily heal everything faster, but might allow him to rehab properly. Um, but this is definitely going to affect his uh, throwing mechanics, unfortunately. Uh, we did see this with Dak Prescott last year. He had worked through that, had worked with the Texas Rangers uh, baseball uh, training staff to kind of work through his injury. It's a less common injury we see because of the throwing mechanics of a football player are different than that of a baseball player, but there's still similar musculature used. So we'll have to see what happens with that, but I, I'm sure Denver is having buyer's remorse with regards to um, Russell Wilson. I don't anticipate Russell to miss any games, but it just he's going to take some time to work through this here. Yeah, this is the big one. I, this is the one that we were kind of I was kind of waiting to talk about here. Uh, I think the trade for him, you kind of you kind of just deal with that, right? Whenever you trade for a player, even a, a high number of draft picks, you don't know what you're getting, and and you 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 have to pay the price before you get it, right? So there could be buyer's remorse, but you kind of have to roll with it. That contract, though, that contract before the season started when it wasn't, you know, officially necessary really in any way, aside from the fact that he just wanted it, I think that was a major jumping of the gun. As far as the injury, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not normally treated with that because it's just, it, like you said, it doesn't really, it doesn't really expedite the healing process. So I, I'm not sure, you know, how much that's going to really change the trajectory of their season at this point. So I obviously he has some kind of issue. I, he, he was very inaccurate and it's kind of crazy to expect him to be any different really this coming week because you know, how much can he heal in a week there? You know, not a whole lot there. So I'm not sure when Denver has their bye week but um, whenever it comes, it can't come soon enough for Denver. Mm-hmm. And it also seems like he's not on the same page with a lot of his guys. So, you know, I'm, I assume that practice will be ramped down for him, and that's probably not beneficial either. No, no. And we're see, we're hearing all the stories from his time in Seattle and former teammates about how different Russell is. And we'll, we'll keep it at that. So, there, you know, when you went back to not Joe with his receivers, there might be a lot more to that, but that's more of a football discussion, not injury discussion, but still right. we're, we're starting to kind of see the wheels fall off, if you will, in Denver after they're expected to you know, compete for the AFC West uh, division crown. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So moving on, um, Russell's uh, former teammate, Rashad Penny, he's dealing with a left fibula fracture, um, suffered on tackle, run out to the left side. Um, those injuries usually look to be season ending. Depending on time in the season, you can sometimes come back if it was like very early on and then you do the rehab. But just considering where the fracture was at, probably closer to his ankle, the fibula is that outside portion of the bone makes the outside portion of your ankle there. Um, it doesn't do a ton of structure, doesn't hold a ton of structure in terms of like weight bearing. In fact, it doesn't do any weight bearing, but hold, it allows the muscles to attach there which makes it obviously important. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's unfortunate that you see a bone which doesn't help you stand upright in terms of weight bearing, get fractured ends your season, but you need that for so much stuff in terms of your ankle movement, um, all the musculature in the lower leg connects there at some point. So 
it's unfortunate, but it just is what it is. But anybody that has Kenneth Walker the third in fantasy is very happy right now. And um, um, unless something crazy happens, I, I don't see how Rashad Penny comes back unless, uh, you know, uh, Seahawks make a deep playoff front. But even then, that's not even a guarantee. Yeah. He has been so unlucky with injuries. It's been one thing after another since he joined that team. Unfortunately for him, you know, he's back on, I think it was just a one-year deal this year because he did have a, a good closing to the season last year. And it's just tough, man. It's such a physical position. And all of the NFL is physical, but he can't. Yeah. He's a, he could be a, a what if, you know, one of those guys that has all the talent, but just couldn't stay healthy for various reasons there. So mm -hmm. it just, it's a shame. It really is. Um, staying in the NFC West, uh, we're dealing with Nick Bosa. He's dealing with a groin injury. Now, if you recall, a few weeks ago, we talked about his brother, Joey Bosa. He's out eight to 10 weeks at the time of the injury with a core muscle repair. We don't know if Nick's is dealing with the same thing with regards to his um, core muscle repair. I remember one of them coming out of Ohio State did miss part of his senior season due to a core muscle repair. I don't know whether it's Nick or Joey, but am I sure that was Nick? Okay. So um, I don't know that those two are related. Core muscle repairs do have excellent outcomes and they usually don't linger like if you get them repaired. But this could be just a true groin strain. If it is, he's probably going to miss a week, maybe try to play through that. Um, but even then, he's going to be effective bending around the edge. He's just not going to be able to, to push off that leg effectively and move lateral. So he'll still be a step slower. If I were the 49ers, with all the injuries they're dealing with, I'd set up Bosa for a week just to try to get him right and then get him healthy later on instead of pushing him out there and really struggling and, you know, making things worse potentially. Yeah, I agree. I think they're playing well. They have a very good defense. They're pretty deep at the defensive line. I think it makes more sense to try and, you know, have him around for the the, the length of the season. It, you, you would hope so, but some teams are, you know, let's get these guys out there and perform because we're paying a lot of money. So um, we, we don't know all the dynamics, but hopefully they can get allow him to rest there. Um, moving on to the NFC South, we have Baker Mayfield doing with a left high angle sprain. Um, they are not going to put him on, on IR. And this was as of Tuesday morning, they said that, but he's expected to miss some games. His teammate, Sam Darnold dealt with a similar injury against Buffalo in the preseason. He's been out six weeks now. They have PJ Walker to step up and potentially start. You would think you put Sam Darnold in there. But if, if Darnold has not been practicing and has not been part of anything, he wouldn't be ready from a schematic standpoint. So, you know, put P.J. Walker in. He won them two games last year in Carolina and an already lost season because they had fired their coach. Let Baker get right because he's trying to find a new home next year. Carolina is not the answer for him. But even if Baker does try to toughen up, play through that, he's not going to be able to scramble. He's not going to be able to step into those throws as much. And then he runs the risk of causing further injury because he's more of a sitting duck back in the pocket. So it's unfortunate, but that's just a game of football. And, you know, sometimes it just depends on the position where you're at with regards to how effective you can be. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm sure he wants to play because his value is at an all-time low right now. And so it's going to be tough for him to get a contract this offseason. But, you know, he might have a long career as a backup. And that's good money, you know what I mean? And, and if, if you do anything now to injure yourself, or, you know, I mean, because it's not just aggravating that injury, which might not even be a big deal in the long run. It's 
putting yourself in dangerous situations where you can't escape pressure, where you can't be the athlete that, you know, you're used to being. So I agree. Just keep him out until he's healthy. And and we found that more severe injuries happen in the pocket than on the run. I mean, both, both significant injuries can happen, but when you look at season ending stuff, more significant stuff, they happen more in the pocket because usually you got one guy sitting back there being the quarterback and then you got a moving object coming at them. Whereas when you're on the run, you got two moving objects and the, the energy can kind of displace each other and they kind of bounce mm-hmm. off each other, if you will. So, you know, going back to what you said, he needs to try to get right. I mean, he's not going to see himself as a backup until he runs out of options. I mean, we saw it with Cam Newton. You know, he still thinks he's a starter and he's sitting, sitting at his, his couch there. So you got guys who they think they're a starter. They want to maximize their value and some are able to do that and some aren't, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. So, sure. yep. So uh, we got two left here. So we got Dalton Schultz of the Cowboys in NFC East. We had talked about him dealing with a PCL injury in his uh, right knee. Uh, I believe he only missed one game because of that, but he came back and played with a knee brace, which we don't see too often. But the purpose of the knee brace is going to prevent that that um, tibia from sliding backwards in relation to where the femur is at. So when you think of the ACL, the ACL prevents the tibia from moving forward. Um, in relation to where the, the femur is at, the PCL does the opposite of that. So the brace is going to allow the knee to have terminal extension and prevent the knee from going backwards like it would be like a chicken or a horse. So what happened was Dalton Schultz had uh, collided with the defender on the opposite team, and it just probably made everything angry in there, and he was trying to work through that and he had to leave the game early. Considering what he means to the Cowboys, how well they're doing, I would say sit him out for a week, try to get the things calmed back down there, get the strength maximized as much as you can. But he, I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to struggle with this and we see him on injury report because of this injury uh, several more times a season. Man, sometimes, Kyle, you just have such a way with words. <laughs> <laughs> just feel it Im- immediately. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to wrap up with that, the NFC North and uh, Savion Smith. Now, this isn't a guy who is he, he's not among the headlines of the stars of, of the league, but he, he came up um, as a cornerback. He came up as a, a big injury because he was carted off and, you know, in the neck immobilizer, the whole suspected neck injury and whatnot. What happened was he was lying up and he got hit kind of right over top of his head. It's called an axial load injury. So basically he got hit from t- and top down and, and kind of compressed everything. And there's always concern if there's spinal cord damage or if there was like a disc herniation that would kind of rupture into the spinal cord and cause them, um, you know, there's always worry for paralysis uh, when you see those kind of hits. And that's what they did. They put him on the board as per the uh, Canadian C-spine rules. They want to mobilize, do imaging, make sure everything's okay. He did have movement in his extremities. Um, he was cleared and, and was left with a uh, neck injury. I think they also said he was in the concussion protocol, so that wouldn't be surprising. But everybody saw that. You always get worried about those type of injuries. We saw it with Dave Jackson several weeks ago in Buffalo. Um, and something we see every so often that just kind of makes you pause and like, oh, hope that's not anything bad. Because we've seen that worst happen in the league before with guys being paralyzed and whatnot, though very, very low incidence, thankfully. Um, but still, uh, it, it's a positive outcome to what would look to be a scary, uh, very scary injury. Yeah. You know, we, we do, I said, we are pretty fortunate with a lot of those true long-term paralysis type injuries. We do not get them very often. 
but you're always scared every time you see a player go down. I mean, I think generally, aside, aside from the concussions, which they have made an effort for, player safety is better overall. I mean, all of these injuries do affect you long-term. I mean, if you, if you tear your ACL twice, you might still have a good career, but you think you're not going to be feeling that at some point when you're, you know, 40, 50, 60. <laughs> like, th- this stuff, it, it lingers, all of yeah. it. You know what I mean? A lot of these guys, they, they you know, some of these guys um, that played back in the day, especially when the game was just a little bit different, they are in rough shape now. Even some of the all-stars, they can barely move around. But basically what I'm saying is they have done a pretty decent job of protecting players from everything that's not that just, you know, steady buildup of of a beating, um, including these uh, spinal injuries. The concussions are really the one last thing that's life-threatening and, you know, life-changing in a way that maybe you wouldn't sign up for, you know, I think a lot of these guys would take the paycheck for bad knees later in life, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, these are the last couple of things. Unfortunately. Yeah. But I mean, you know, do, do you want to make millions of dollars run the risk of getting a spinal cord injury, you know, when it's a real low incident, or could you get that injury driving a car? Could you do that? Another jobs? Like it's just, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. So you don't want to not do anything well, because of that. But you know, I would sign up for the the few million dollars. I'm not saying run the risk of it, but there is a risk. But it just you comes with territory. They know what they're signing up for. Is really what it comes down to. Yeah, but again, we don't get that many of them, and I think it's it's you can have different opinions on it, but I think that's a justifiable risk because they've done a good job of protecting from that with certain kind of blocks, certain kind of hits. Um, but yeah, I'm just saying that concussion is the, really the last yes. one of those that can really, really change your life. So yes. again, hopefully two is all good. We saw Chris Olave go down pretty hard too, just to shout him out. Um, he, he, um, banged off the turf pretty good there. All right, Kyle, I will let you go. I appreciate your time as always. And we'll have you back on next Wednesday to talk about the injuries that will surely occur between now and then let everybody know where they can find your work between now and then. All right. You can find me on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram at Banged Up Bills. You can find um, my written work at Cover One, uh, excuse me, at Cover One at BangedUpBills.com, Buffalo Rumblings. You can find my weekly appearances on Locked On Bills on Fridays and then Buffalo Late Night on Monday nights. Beautiful. All right. We will see you then. All right. Thank you. All right, we are back with Max Chadwick from PFF to talk about the college football weekend that was and soon will be. Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I, I mentioned to you before, you know, I was a little sick, but it, it, I'm going to get better because of how awesome this Saturday is. So I'm really, uh, <laughs> I'm really pumped to talk to you. Will yourself into health so that you can sit and watch <laughs> football for 14 hours straight. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, all right, man. Look, I- I'm pumped to talk to you about this week. Last week was a good one. This week's going to be a good one. I- I'm just going to throw it to you because, again, I we are we're working on YouTube now, right? So if you mm-hmm. are watching this, you already know. If you're listening, you can find us there. But that just means more editing work, more publishing work, and uh, again, 
no time for college football. So tell me, man, <laughs> how did this weekend go? I saw your Twitter like blow it up. So yes, yeah, I was very active on Twitter. I'll be very active uh, on Twitter this week. Follow me at Chad underscore Max because, like I mentioned, it's gonna be awesome, and I'm sure we're gonna get into that in a little bit. But this past weekend was fun. It, it was you know a little tame. Uh, nothing too insane went on. Uh, the big one was Alabama. We, you know, we talked about the Texas A&M game, and I mentioned, hey, if Bryce Young isn't able to go, watch out. And it literally came down to the final play of the game. Texas A&M had the ball on the two-yard line. Uh, they threw – it's a terrible play call by Jimbo Fisher. Like, it threw a pass short of the end zone, um, and it ended up being incomplete, and Bama holds, holds on 24-20. Um, who knows? That could have been Alabama's first loss of the year if Texas A&M drew a, a better play. So – I think uh, that, that was a da- definitely a game to keep an eye on. Jalen Moreau, the Alabama backup quarterback, was really, really struggled as a passer. He now has the lowest passing grade in college football, according to a PFF. Um, so definitely, you know, ahead of this game against Tennessee, number six Tennessee on the road, Bryce Young's got to be back. You know, so that's going to be a big thing. Uh, everything else, though, seemed, you know, pretty okay. Ohio State looked awesome, as always. I think they're the best team in the co- college football right now. Uh, I don't know who can stop that offense. Tennessee pulled off their third top 25 victory, uh, which no other school has done so far. They've won 40 to 13 over LSU, you know, ahead of their big game with Alabama. Uh, nothing too crazy. Not, not, no, no, not too many upsets. Kansas, uh, their Cinderella season is over now. They lost to TCU 38 to 31. Jalen Daniels, their quarterback, is going to be out for a while, it seems like, with a shoulder injury. Uh, so we'll see with that. But, yeah, other than that, it was, it was a pretty relatively tame week of college football, I would say. Okay. So if that's the case, then if there weren't really that many upsets and it all came down to basically, you know, if if basically the highlight of this weekend was one basically poor play call against Alabama, which is maybe the mm-hmm. best team in college football, then, then where does that put Texas A&M? in terms of rankings for you, not necessarily AP pool, but like if they were that close, how close are they nationally? I, so again, I, I think the the big thing to keep in mind with that game is that Alabama was on their backup quarterback. And I know Jimbo Fisher actually in his pro skate press conference is like, Hey, we were on our backup quarterback too. And yes, that is technically true <laughs> uh, because Max Johnson was hurt, but uh, Haynes King, who was a starter against Alabama, he was the starter to start the season for Texas A&M. So he technically was their starter. They benched him because he was really bad. And then Max Johnson came in, Max Johnson got hurt. And now Haynes King is back as the quarterback for Texas A&M. So technically, yes, they're on their backup quarterback like Alabama, but it's not the same. And, and especially with Max Johnson and Haynes King, just not being the same caliber of Bryce Young, who won the Heisman trophy last year. If I had to give the Heisman out right now, I'd probably give it to him again this year. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's definitely not the same. I think Texas A&M is a, a decent team. Uh, they're probably like a top 40, top 45 team in college football, but I still think they have a lot of issues, namely offensively, especially with Haynes King back there at quarterback. They got a five-star true freshman in Connor Wagman, uh, who I think maybe they should start putting in if Haynes King continues to struggle. But yeah, I, I don't think that said a lot about Texas A&M. I think it said more about how, how bad Alabama's offense can be under Jalen Moreau. All right. So if I'm recalling your, your tweet properly from memory, um, Texas is back. I mean it this time. Something along yes. those lines. Is yes. that a, is that is that a heat of the moment or are they really back? No, no. I think, <laughs> I think they're back. I think this is the, the question that nobody's thinking about right now. Um, Quinn Ewers is back. Uh, the the star quarterback, one of the highest rated quarterback recruits of all time. 
Uh, he's back now from an, from his injury. A lot of people remember he was killing Alabama in that first quarter. Then they ended up losing by one. He got hurt in in the first quarter, missed the next three weeks. So you can make the argument. Texas right now is four and two. You can make the argument if Quinn Ewers never got hurt. They are six and zero right now with a win against Alabama, and they just destroyed Oklahoma forty nine to nothing. The biggest lopsided victory Texas has ever had in that rivalry. I'd make the argument with Quinn Ewers if he never got hurt. They're the number one team in college football right now. So I think that Texas is a team that, you know, not a lot of people are talking about. They're, they got ranked again. They're number 22 in the AP, in the AP poll right now. I would put them in the top 15, uh, even with two losses. I think if they go 11, if they win out and they go 11 and two, and there's a team that has one loss, I think you put Texas in the playoff over that team with one loss because you can say, hey, now with Quinn Ewers, this is probably a top four team in college football. I don't think they're that good right now. But I think there's a chance they, they win out. And then it creates a very interesting conversation of whether or not you put a two-loss Texas team over a one-loss you know, conference champion. I, I would make the argument that you should because you can make that argument saying, hey, with Quinn Ewers, you know, they're probably undefeated right now. Have we ever seen a two-loss team in the college football playoff? Not yet. Not yet. It's, it's always one-loss teams. That's why I, I think... You know, a lot of people are like, oh, Texas looks good. You know, they'll probably, maybe they can contend for a Big 12 title, but not a lot of people are talking about them for a, a playoff conversation. I think they should, because I think it's going to create a very interesting conversation uh, because there's a real excuse for them. You could say, hey, listen, they're on their backup quarterback and they still, you know, they, they lost to Alabama by one point when their backup quarterback played 75% of the game. They lost to Texas Tech by four point or by three points in that game. So it was not like they got blown out in either of their losses with their backup quarterback. So they went out, they could beat Oklahoma state and right now as a top 10 team in the country. They could beat TCU. They win the big 12 title. Texas is going to have a, a decent resume. And again, I think with the context of Quinn Ewers being hurt, I think there's a real, real case if they went out of them making the college football playoff. Well, I think there's precedent for precedent being broken last year. I mean, yeah, with Cincinnati getting in, I think, you know, obviously not a, Two, two loss team very very good team in, in season but if we're seeing a little bit of flexibility on that side perhaps we could see flexibility with the overall number of losses as well all right yep what are your top four rankings now and is there any movement on that front so you th- uh, so again is this uh your, what i have it right now or what 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 i think is going to end up being the playoff uh, just give us both because okay I just, so okay so- I, I mean I, I want to gauge if there's fluctuation week to week. Again, you are my insight into sure. college football world. So, Yeah, for sure. So actually, my, my top 25 article for PFF coming out tomorrow. Um, and I put, you know, I put Ohio State at one. And right now there are two in the AP pool, Georgia being one. I put Bama at two. Uh, I think, you know, they, they moved Bama from one to three after beating Texas A&M. I don't. I'm not overreacting that much. Again, I think that you've got, you know, it's like, yeah, they beat Texas A&M by four points, uh, but it's like, yeah, but they're on their backup quarterback who clearly is a major step down from Bryce Young. So I don't, I'm not overreacting too much. If Bryce Young's out for extended period of time, for sure they're going to move down, but I, I'm not overreacting too much. So I put them number two, George, I put three. Uh, and then I put Tennessee at four, you know, the AP poll right now is Tennessee at six. I think with what they've done so far this year, I think they're, they deserve to be in the top four right now. Um, do I think they're going to make the comfortable playoff ultimately? No. Um, so I think the top four at the end of the year is going to be, you know, Georgia or Alabama, Georgia, whoever, Ohio State. Those are the three. And I think Clemson, like I mentioned before, has 
a relatively easy schedule on the on the way out on uh, the second half of the season in the ACC. So as long as Clemson, I think Clemson has a better chance of you know remaining undefeated and winning the ACC than other teams like like say Michigan or Oklahoma State or anyone like that. So if Clemson wins out, which I think they could, uh, I think they would make the college football playoffs as the four seed. So my predicted playoff right now. I, I took out USC, so I think it's Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. I think they're the four teams at the end of the year. All right. Heisman ranking watch list. Where are we? So now, you know, the, the betting odds, they keep going in C.J. Stroud's favor. Uh, you know, last week he had about a 40% chance to win the Heisman according to the betting odds. Now it's like a 60% chance to win the Heisman, which this early in the season, like, like I mentioned before, we're only at the midseason mark. And there's already a guy with 60% chance to win the Heisman. Like that's very, very significant. Again, I wouldn't give it to him right now. He's very protected in that Ohio State offense. He's still playing phenomenally. I'm not taking that away from him. He's still been outstanding. He'd probably be my second uh, Heisman favorite right now. But I would give it to Bryce Young. And I know it's hard when you miss a game, uh, you know, in a Heisman resume. But you can see how dangerous. Alabama's games will be without Bryce Young because, you know, he is so relied on in that offense to make the, the right reads. Whereas CJ Stroud, you know, is, is a lot of one read in that Ohio State system. So many open receivers. That receiving core is unfreaking believable. They probably have another three first round receivers after losing Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, which is crazy. Bama does not have that right now. That receiving core is really struggling. Um, so I think that Bryce Young is the best player in college football. Uh, because Alabama still looks elite when he's at quarterback. You put Jalen Moreau in there, they don't look nearly as good. Now, I'm now I'm sure you could say, oh, Kyle McCord, the Ohio State backup quarterback, you put him in there, how do they look? I don't think it's nearly as bad, because I think that Ohio State offense is that freaking talented. I think C.J. Stroud will win the Heisman at the end of the year, just because, like I keep mentioning, Ohio State is going to have one of those all-time offenses. But if I was a Heisman voter... I would say, hey, Bryce Young is the most outstanding player in college football. He's carrying that team on his back. C.J. Stroud is the quarterback for the best offense in college football. So I think it's, it's a different argument there. So I would give it a Bryce Young, but I, I really, really, really would be surprised if it's not C.J. Stroud at the end of the year. Plus, like, voter fatigue, I think, is a big thing, too. They've only given the Heisman out uh, twice to one player, only one time. Archie Griffin is the only two-time Heisman winner. I don't think they, think they want to do that as much. Uh, so I don't think, you know, Bryce Young really would have to blow everyone out of the water to win a second Heisman Trophy. I don't think it's, that's going to happen this year. But again, I would give him the Heisman if I had to right now. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting conversation. It really is about what constitutes being the best player, right? I think, yeah. you know, I think even just phrasing it as the most valuable player makes it even just a little bit more clear. Heisman yeah. is a vague one. All right, biggest games of this upcoming slate. It is loaded. I remember a couple weeks ago I said, oh, there's five ranked games, which is tied for the most that we've had in five years. There are six ranked games this weekend, which is the most that we've had in five years. 2017, I was talking to a guy earlier today, 2017 was unbelievable. You know, they had seven ranked games, in fact, in one week. So I don't think we'll ever get up to that level, uh, but still six ranked games this weekend. There are two top 10 matchups, three top 15 matchups. Uh, the big, big one is obviously number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee. Bryce Young needs to be able to go for that game because Tennessee's got a very explosive offense. Alabama probably has the best defense in college football, but still without Bryce Young, they're going to struggle, struggle to keep up with Tennessee. So Bryce Young has to, has to, has to 
be able to go for that game. Uh, another one, Penn State, number 10 Penn State at number five Michigan. That's kind of going to prove, hey, who's the biggest challenger to Ohio State in the Big Ten? I think Penn State and Michigan are clearly the next two best teams after Ohio State in the Big Ten. That's going to prove a lot in that game. I'm excited for that one as a Penn State fan, especially. Uh, another game, Oklahoma State, number eight Oklahoma State at number 13 TCU, the final two undefeated teams in the Big 12 right now. Do I think those are the two best teams in the Big 12? No, because like I mentioned before, I'm a huge believer in the Texas Longhorns right now. But still, those are the final two undefeated teams in the Big 12. We only have one after this weekend. So that's going to be really exciting. Probably a very high-scoring game in that one as well. Uh, number seven, USC at number 20, Utah. Utah's actually favored in that game by three and a half points. So that could be USC's first loss of the season. Uh, Caleb Williams, big test against Jalen Johnson and that uh, at elite Utah secondary. I'm excited to see Jalen Johnson, not Jalen Johnson, excuse me, Clark Phillips the third. I'm <laughs> I was going to say, I was now. like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a couple of years too early. <laughs> yeah. Clark Phillips the third. I'm, I'm thinking of another Utah corner. Clark Phillips the third is the, probably the best defensive back in college football right now. He leads the nation in interceptions. He's got, I think five interceptions in the past three weeks, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, hopefully he gets to go up against Jordan Addison a lot because that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, number 16, yeah. Mississippi State at number 22, Kentucky. Um, that's another big game. Hopefully Will Levis is able to go for that game because he's got an injury right now, which is why Kentucky lost to South Carolina last week. And then the uh, the final ranked game is my alma mater, number 15, NC State at number 18, Syracuse. Syracuse 5-0 and right now in the season. Uh, I don't know how legitimate that is. They're going to prove it this week. Now it's, you know, prove it time, how legit Syracuse actually is. Um, and that will be a, a really fun game against number 15, NC State. So like I mentioned, six ranked games, two of them in the top 10, three of them between top 15 teams. It is a must, must, must watch week of college football. So so what, this is the last thing I want to ask you, and then we're going to get out of here. Okay. What happens if Bama loses because Bryce Young is not there? What are the implications of that for the season? I think, again, that's like the, the, the context argument is going to be so interesting for that. I think they're going to drop out of the top four. Obviously, Tennessee is probably going to move up all the way to at least like three or two, probably. Um, I think if they then if Bryce Young comes back, you know, they roll through the rest of the, their schedule. Then I think, you know, you can say, OK, and they win the SEC championship, which is a big uh, part of it, too then you can say, okay, put them back in the playoff. But they have no more room after that. You know, It's going to be tough to, to make an argument for, for Alabama to make the playoff with two losses. Now, I know it sounds like a little uh, like I'm going against myself because I said Texas with two losses might be able to make it. But I think Texas only makes that, only makes that an argument if there's, you know, four, if there's a team that has one loss that you have number four right now. You know, so mm-hmm. Alabama, if they, if they can't beat Tennessee – uh, without Bryce Young, again, it, the context is important there. But, yeah, it's going to be tough. Then they have no room for error for the rest of the year, I think. Yeah. All right. That'll be interesting to watch. I mean, could Alabama be the team that Texas knocks out of the top four? That would be pretty interesting. Ooh, All right, Max. Yeah. Let everybody know where they can find you and your work until we get to talk to you about this big-time weekend next Wednesday. Yes. So you can find all my work at pff.com. I write about four articles a week. For Pro Football Focus, I'm, uh, I'm breaking down, I'm previewing all six of those ranked games uh, in an article in a couple of days, so you make sure to check that out. Um, and follow me on Twitter or TikTok, at Chad underscore Max, because well, I'll be on my couch all day Saturday watching all of these games, so uh, I absolutely cannot wait for that. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, man. As always, I appreciate you very much, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Max. 
hey, uh, why don't you come over and we can, you know, decide whether to start or sit Adam feeling. Oh, man. I make myself laugh sometimes. I really do. <laughs> so, again, we are listening to those sound drops live now. I used to put them all in post. Like, I, I knew people listened to it, but it's 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 funny to actually see somebody listening to some of this nonsense that I put in. All right, guys. It's never not funny. That opening <laughs> is never not funny. I think it's some of my best work as far as the sound drops go. Okay. Um, <laughs> I am back with Matthew Brown to talk about some fantasy football and here we are. Let's do it, Matt. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I can't believe the topic I'm about to start off with you. Uh, this is such a strange fantasy season. I, I Honestly, I cannot remember a stranger fantasy football season, honestly, even a stranger NFL season mm-hmm. than this one, at least in recent memory, that is. Yeah, well, I, I mean, like you said before, offense is down, scoring is down in general. Defenses are playing a little bit differently. It's it's not new. The The trend started the past couple of years, but it seems to be taking the entire league over at this point. So it's causing a lot uh, fewer explosive plays, a lot more underneath passing. You know what I mean? They're challenging teams to run the ball more, and teams had clearly been prioritizing, you know, passing the ball because all the analytics said that was by far the most efficient. So yeah, it's a little bit of a different brand of NFL football this year. Yeah. So I, I want to start talking about Taysom Hill. (laughs) Yeah. I cannot believe in the year 2022, I am saying this because I thought after the failure of starting quarterback, I, I would never have to talk about Taysom Hill ever again. Yet, I actually think he is very fantasy relevant. I've got a piece coming out in Gridiron Heroics about, you know, kind of breaking all this down. But the fact of the matter is at the tight end position, if you drafted Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews, you're feeling great. If you have drafted anybody else, you're having a horrible time with your tight end position. And because, you know, you've got George Kittle out there that deals with injuries. You've got Kyle Pitts that apparently just misses the bus to the game and doesn't show up. Uh, and then every, everyone else, something like a TJ Hawkinson, goes off for you know 179 yards, eight catches, two touchdowns, and then this week had one catch for 16 yards, I think. And so it's just this roller coaster. And so it gets to the point where I'm like, I think Taysom Hill is very relevant on the grounds that, okay, he may not put up a bunch of yards, but the saints put him in opportunities to score and he's doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in all different kinds of ways, apparently right now. And I think especially without Jameis Winston in the game, they're leaning on him even more heavily. You know, I, I, I think he's a great athlete. He was never even a good quarterback in, in the pros, but he's a great athlete. And, I think if you just let him do that and you don't try and make him be a quarterback, he can produce for you at a very high level. I mean, especially with the their clear ability to utilize him and in I think it's it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like we talked about with uh Cordero Patterson. He is not uh, the type of player that just fits into any offense, but he can be very effective if you utilize the skills that he does have. And it took teams a long time to do that. 
with him and, and he finally found a home in, in Atlanta that works. And I think the Saints are probably, I would not be surprised if they are the only place who would have been able to effectively use Taysom Hill, but he is he is producing, especially in terms of points. Points win fantasy. So Exactly. And that and that's kind of my point is is he going to go off like he did last week uh, every week? No, I, I'm, I'm not anticipating that. But with the volatility that the tight end position is, is giving us, would I rather have him in the lineup with scoring, a, you know, averaging a touchdown a game? Or am I rolling the dice with TJ Hawkinson or hopefully George Kittle is healthy or hopefully, you know, pick insert tight end name here, hoping they get something. I guess it's clear. The saints are like, you know what? We're in the red zone. We're inside the five yard line. We're throwing Taysom Hill in there. Oh, and he's getting kick return and punt return. So there's chances of getting points there. There's just, there's a lot of situations where he can score points and I, I think it's worth starting him over some of these other tight ends. And I cannot believe that I'm saying this, but I actually, ha- having done the research kind of for this piece, it's like, holy cow, I think I need to start Taysom Hill. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is, you know, they're not making him really do the dirty work as much. So he has less overall injury risk, right? Like the average tight end there run blocking on every run play and that's not really how they're using him they're using him to score they're using him to get yards like they would rather give him the ball and have him run than have him run block for somebody like that so you know i i it's it's a unique player who's probably i would have to look at this so this is purely speculative but i would bet and maybe you even have this this available but i would bet that he has one of the highest snap to touch percentages in the NFL. Like when he's in there, they try and get him the ball. Like he's, uh, you know, most running backs, you know, they're, they're not seeing the ball on most pass plays or if wide receivers, they, you know, get the ball, what percentage of the time that they're actually out there, but Taysom Hill, they don't really use him if they're not trying to get him the ball in his hands, you know? Yeah, he's he's averaging about between 20 and 30% of the offensive snaps. Mm-hmm. And that's really not a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he's had this much production means you're right. Like his he's when he's in the game, he's getting a high amount of 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 the focal point of the offense. He's touching the ball. And I think what's crazy about that is it's one of those things where like that means when he's in the game, everybody knows that, oh, hey, look, it's Taysom mm-hmm. Hill. Everybody watch out. And yet it's still working. Yeah. Well, they have a so good offensive I, I just, line, too. So that doesn't yeah. hurt. So I just think that is absolutely nuts. And uh, they're playing the Bengals this week, who, uh, you know, didn't necessarily, their defense looked okay against Baltimore. I think Baltimore missed some big opportunities this week. Like, I mean, that fourth down, fourth and one, I believe it was where Lamar just, I mean, overthrew a, a guaranteed touchdown. Uh, I, I think it was, I think the Ravens yeah. were more off than the Bengals were really locking them down. So I, yeah. I, I mean, it's worth a start this week. I, he's not gonna, he's not gonna go off for four touchdowns. I don't think. Um, but I think my my money is he probably scores again. 
that they get inside the five and they give it to him and he probably gets a touchdown. And to be frank, anytime that my players on my team score a touchdown, I am happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I mean that the Ravens defense hasn't been playing lights out. It's he's a good play. I mean, it's like you said, I never would have thought that this was the case. I thought he was basically an albatross on their salary cap at this point, but kudos to them. I mean, you got to give them props for, recognizing what they had when nobody else really did. And obviously I'm glad that they're not really playing him at quarterback anymore. I think that that was an experiment. Can't give him too much grief for at least trying it, but obviously didn't work, but very useful player. Yeah. So uh, beyond Taysom Hill, uh, I, I figured out the defense every year. There's a defense that you just have to say, start all the players against them. There's always one defense you can just be like, all right, uh, let's just do it. And uh, Taysom Hill actually revealed this last week, which is against the Seattle defense. Anytime (laughs) now that Seattle is playing somebody, you should just start their players. So they're playing the Cardinals this week. Um, Already Marquise Hollywood Brown has had an excellent season. That trade is looking very, very good for the Cardinals. Um, the, the him and Kyler Murray connection looks very, very good. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Deandre Hopkins gets back. But as of right now, still outside of that zone, but I think, I mean, all of these offensive players, you know, Eno Benjamin, the running back with Connor, uh, 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 being injured and his status questionable, uh, Zach Ertz, Greg Dorch. I, I think they're all worth looks because I think the Seattle offense is actually pretty good and can keep up with another high scoring offense. And that just means more fantasy points for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I I think that the Arizona Cardinals offense, Kyler Murray, Greg Dorch, Marquise Hollywood, Brown, Zach Ertz, Eno Benjamin shoot. You want to throw in a third, third string wide receiver as a flex. I'm I'm not against it. (laughs) I cannot believe that Greg Dorch is a starting receiver for somebody this year. That is Unbelievable. I know it's it's only until it's only until uh, DeAndre Hopkins gets back or there's another injury. But that I, if you would ask me like two years ago if he would ever be a starting wide receiver, I would have said it's more Just likely wild. that he's not in the league, honestly. But but yeah, start him this against Seattle. Only week. <laughs> This is probably the only week that I'm recommending that you start Greg George. And I guess it's probably the next week I will recommend it is when they play Seattle again. Uh, But uh, it's it's really just, you know, oh, that's true. The Lions as well. Lions and um, the Lions and the Seattle Seahawks are are very much your defenses of like, oh, we should just probably start some offensive players on this one. Um, Another big matchup this week is uh, Bill's Chiefs. And I, for one, from an NFL fan, very much looking forward to that. Um, from a player standpoint, you're probably not going very wrong on a whole lot of players, but there's one that I want to highlight, uh, uh, and that's Gabe Davis, uh, on Monday night against the Raiders, uh, the chiefs gave up two long touchdowns to Devonte Adams, a 58 yarder and a 40 or a 55 yarder and a 48 yarder. I'm based two long touchdowns is, is the basis of it. One of them, the first one on a completely blown coverage, like Derek Carr under through the ball, Adams had to slow down and he still walked into the end zone. The other one was on a gorgeous throw, just double covered. Bills like to throw the ball deep. If Josh Allen loves to show off that cannon and I I think that Gabe Davis is going to get many an opportunity. And if the Chiefs back end defense is anything like it was on Monday night, 
chances are at least one of those connects and you're looking at a big touchdown. Also, I don't think it's an accident that last time that they played, Gabe Davis had a pretty big, pretty big uh, scoring output in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of welcome to the big time Gabe Davis game. Um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting play. Uh, I think normally it's not that wise to play a given player against Kansas City because they often get out to a lead and then make you kind of one-dimensional, which could be pretty tough, right? It's not just that they outscore you, it's that they outscore you and then force you to play from behind and kind of capitalize on that. But the the Bills are not really that team. They will go toe-to-toe with you. They will, I mean, maybe they're a little one-dimensional, but it's, it's not because they're playing from behind. But uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good one. And I think there's something to be said for when players just get hot there's a difference between just having a big game and getting hot. And it, it looks to me like Gabe Davis is, is, is heating up. Yeah. Outside of kind of all that, this is because bye weeks have, of course, started. So now we're you know dealing with a lesser pool of players. I think week six has got some really rough matchups. I mean, like Cowboys versus Eagles is a tough one from a fantasy perspective. You're probably starting the players on those teams, but... You know, Dallas's defense is top five in the league. So it's hard to recommend, oh, yeah, you know, start all those Eagles. And I think vice versa with the Cowboys. The Eagles defense is is great. So, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to know what they're going to do. And even, like, Broncos and Chargers on Monday night, I don't know what to do with either of those teams because the Broncos look completely lost on offense and who knows what chargers team we're going to get. Are we going to get the chargers team from last week against the Browns? Are we going to get the chargers team that laid an egg against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Like it, it, it just is a, it, it's, it's too volatile for me to like really feel good about any of those players. And then matchups like the commanders and the bears are out there and just it, it, what do you do with those matchups? <laughs> so, yeah, I can't wait to uh, see the Commanders' offense versus the Bears' offense on a short week. That's sure to be fireworks. <laughs> it's going to be great. the the one The one game that I do think has some interesting fanny fantasy fanny. Woo! <laughs> We're both tired. It's a wow. little late. I'm well, not going to lie. Yeah, it's a little late. Um, uh, you know, it's always fun. Uh, always fun to to record late at night and have when you have. Uh, my goodness, you can just cut this out. Holy cow. Let's try this again. <laughs> One other matchup that I think has some fantasy implications that there's going to be some players that go off is Packers-Jets. Packers mm-hmm. are coming off a pretty embarrassing loss. Matt LaFleur is, I believe, 10-0 or 11-0 after losses and usually writes the ship pretty quickly. So I expect the Packers offense to be better. However, I don't expect that the Packers' defense to be magically fixed, and as much talent as they have, they're still like 22nd, 23rd in DVOA. So, and horrible against the run. So, something like Brees Hall is probably not a bad play, and I think that if Daniel Jones and the fifth-string wide receiver on the Giants can light up the Packers' defense... I like the chances that Zach Wilson and uh, some of those weapons on offense can also do that. So it's another one that I'm like hesitant, but I also think that that game probably has some good fantasy output in it. 
Yeah, I don't think that the Jets are a fantasy juggernaut at this point, but they have players that you 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 got to recognize every single week as, as having a, an opportunity to go off. Obviously, Brees Hall is the big one. He went off for almost 200 total yards, just a hair short, and he almost had three touchdowns, but he basically did all the work on two drives and then gave up touchdowns to Michael Carter instead. But, you know, we're talking about a yard twice to have a monster fantasy day. So I, I think he's the one that you can play really confidently. I think the Jets offense will probably be pretty decent against the Packers, but which one? Who's the other one that's going to go off? It could be Corey Davis. This could be maybe Elijah Moore's first really big day of the season. It could be Garrett Wilson. That's an interesting conversation to have, but I think Brees Hall is the it's, one that I would be confident one. in. It's a tough one because even on the Packers, like, I mean, clearly Rodgers is favoring Alan Lazard and Alan Lazard has caught a touchdown in every game that he has played. So probably a pretty safe play there. But Romeo Dobbs is clearly getting looks. Christian Watson is getting all these gadget play looks. Uh, and who knows if LaFleur or Rodgers decides to run the ball. And so what happens with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon? It's 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 very again, you're kind of taking a shot in the dark. If you're really asking me as a Packers fan, I think that this is going to be a big Aaron Jones game. This is very much what they do after a loss. They go back to Aaron Jones. It's, this is the aggravating cycle of being a Packers fan is they go back to Aaron Jones and then they go, oh, this worked. That's great. And then two weeks later, they forget about him and they go, wait, we lost. Why? Oh, Aaron Jones, right. He's on our team. And yeah. it, it's, it's, it's the most aggravating cycle in the world. Well, he's definitely the matchup to look out for in this game because the Jets have I was going to say low-key. I don't even know if it's low-key anymore. One of the best corner tandems in the NFL this year. Between DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner, they are playing close to lockdown. And, you know, I, I'm not disregarding Alan Lazard, but the reality is that the Packers don't have a wide receiver group that's that's what you might call dominant. So I think there isn't a chance that the Jets play lockdown coverage and they're just going to have to rely on Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. So, you know, um, the Jets are not as good against the run as they are against the pass either. So I think if you're going to play a Packer, the running back would be one of them. Um, maybe AJ Dillon too. Maybe you handcuff yourself with him in the flex or something like that, just to hope one of them goes off. I don't know. But, yeah, that's an interesting yeah, I, game. I think A.J. Dillon's definitely a flex play. I think Aaron Jones can be your running back one this week mm -hmm. if you are if you really need it. I, I think that's I think that's a, a pretty safe play. Yeah, just to go back to your, your Eagles take there for a sec, that's an interesting yeah. one. I don't think that I would play any Eagles skill position if I could help it. And I don't think that I would play any Dallas skill position if I could help it. Um. I think what's so tough about that is like those are the those are the players that like you feel like you can slot in. Um, but I think this is where you kind of test your mettle as a fantasy manager where, OK, yeah, C.D. Lamb's been your your wide receiver one. What kind of player can you find on the waivers or what kind of player can you find on your bench that that maybe goes, OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to try to see if if I can squeeze some more points out of this. 
and that sometimes are the decisions that can either make or break your season because believe me there's nothing more aggravating than doing that and then cd lamb catches three touchdowns against the eagles and has his career (laughs) game but um also it it, i i agree that there's a very real possibility that all these skill positions kind of do nothing and it it, it's probably like a 17 14 game like i think that's going to be more of a defensive battle than it is going to be an offensive shootout for sure i think the player i would imagine would be a solid start or at least just from my you know from from my perspective i think Devonte smith is a guy because you're going to have aj dillon probably matched up pretty regularly with trevon Diggs, you know and and, and obviously aj brown's going to get his but that's that's a tough matchup this year the way that Diggs has been playing so Devonte smith is that second option he might have a better matchup opportunity um you know dallas goddard's always good for just the red zone threat that he is. I wouldn't start Jalen Hurts. I know he's been pretty good for touchdowns as a runner, but that Dallas defensive front is so good that I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to mess with that this week. Yeah. I, I, I have Jalen Hurts throwing at least one pick. That's my prediction. And uh, because I think that Dallas defense, just I think Micah Parsons and uh, the rest of that line pressure him to the point where he makes one dumb decision, if not multiple. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just think that on, on those games, just kind of temper the expectations. And I think there's a, that, like, there's just a lot of those games of like temper your expectations where um, you just don't quite know what to do with, with the matchup. It's like, man, I don't really see a, a, a player going off because of xyz reason i mean you know you've got 49ers and falcons and that's another one where it's like man i really don't see any player like going off and and so it just it's it's a very i think this is a really difficult week um with the buys starting that you kind of got to fill in some spots here yeah yep again and with offense down it's like who's just the hot hand this week all right anything else that you want to throw at our listeners before we get you on out of here so you can get some rest and you know get back to it tomorrow I think I'm all good. All right. Well, let everybody know where they can find you between now and next Wednesday when we have you again. And of course, you know, I will be chatting with you this Sunday when the Jets go up against those Packers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there will be some internet interactions because this only happens (laughs) once every four years that this happens. Besides, if our team somehow met in the Super Bowl. Um, (laughs) It almost happened uh, back in 2010. It actually almost happened. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, uh, find me at Sorcerer Matt on uh, on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. And then obviously Gridiron Heroics, um, you know, get more of a little bit of a schedule going. So um, every Wednesday, I'm going to kind of do like a fantasy player profile. As I mentioned, you know, Taysom Hill is kind of uh, where I'm going this week. And then Thursday is when kind of our the Gridiron Heroics start sits will come out. Um, so take a look out uh, for those on Thursday. We, you know, I, I know a lot of a lot of outlets do it on Wednesday. We're pushing it a little bit to Thursday to try to make sure that we see more injury reports and other stuff like that to be able to try to give you all the best advice on who to start and who to sit that we can. Right on. All right, Matt. We will see you next week. Gamblers, wagerers, and riverboat ramblers. Tonight, we pick... Still not used to hearing myself talk. <laughs> All right. 
We are back with Nick Miriam. Nick is normally with us on our Rookie and Prospect show, but he is a big-time Washington Commanders fan. Don't ask me how, but he is. And we are going to preview the Commanders versus Bears Thursday night football game. Nick, how you doing? Not great because I'm a Commanders fan, but other than that, you know, <laughs> fine, I guess, you know. Um, to answer your question, uh, my whole family is from the Northern Virginia area, and it's Look, I, I think this fan base gets a gets a bad rap for not showing up to games, but once upon a time, Philadelphia, which this fan base is is great right now, was in a similar state where they hadn't won in a while and they didn't show up the games. So that's my excuse. I still think the fan base would be strong if this team ever bounced back, but I don't know. We'll, I don't know if we'll ever see that, but we'll, we'll hope for it. <laughs> well, I mean, the the commanders, you know, under former name especially, they were an incredibly popular team they're still one of the most valuable franchises in the nfl like it would not take a lot of winning to reinvigorate those fans right i mean i think that they just need some semblance of energy there yeah and i you know you saw it the one year with rg3 i think it kind of bounced back very briefly he topped the jersey sales and like there's fans that you know for a while in the south it was just the cowboys and washington were the only two good teams uh, the South is the most populous area of the United States. So there are still fans like I've worn um, Washington gear and, and, you know, in Atlanta and places like that. And you will always come across fans in those areas because they are there still. Uh, they don't really wear the gear because for a while, you know, it's kind of tough when there's a connotation against the team's name, rightfully so. Um, and also because the team's bad to be wearing that stuff. Like, why would you ever do that? So I think you don't really see it for a reason um but it's there uh we're we're here it's just they haven't really given us much of a reason to tell you we're here uh mm -hmm. so it's been kind of it's been a little dim but hopefully something changes soon yeah well i mean it was a legit dynasty at one point um but obviously not at this point we have ron rivera going in you know, he's now into his third year right he started in 2020 2021 and now 2022 I think the questions at quarterback are still not questions and a defense that's absolutely loaded with talent maybe hasn't been playing up to what the expectations were as far as that goes but they are going up against the Chicago Bears team which probably had about as low expectations as any team in the league and I, I would say maybe they're slightly overachieving as far as that goes but uh, it's definitely a winnable game for the Commanders. But how do we get to where we are in this season right now? I mean, what is going well, if anything, for the Commanders as we sit here? So when I came on this show to do preview of this team, I said I picked them to win eight games, and I said they're probably going to either bottom out and be much worse than that or figure some, out, some spark out and win a bunch of games. And it looks like the bottom out has actually occurred. And I do think this team is way more talented than one and four. I, I think – you know, if this is the Eagles organization with a better coaching staff, they might be three and two, maybe even four and one right now with the talent that's on the field. I really do believe this is a talented roster. Uh, I don't think Carson Wentz is a long-term answer at quarterback, but I think he's good enough that you can get good games out of him. The issue, I think, has been just kind of structurally – how they've built this roster, some some gambles they took that became mistakes, and then, quite frankly, I, I just I think they've gotten a little unlucky, which continuously seems like a thing that happens. And I think they kind of put all their eggs in one basket with Ron Rivera, and 
Ron Rivera does some things very, very well, but he doesn't do everything well. And the issue with this franchise is because of Dan Snyder and a lot of the things he's done that's kind of made this a difficult organization to manage and, and build up. You kind of have to rely on one person because it needs to be a figure who can stand alone and be kind of looked on upon as this bigger figure than Dan Snyder, which is hard to do. You know, you can't do that if it's three people. It has to be one person. Otherwise, there's always going to be this connotation, oh, if it's three people splitting all the work, Dan Snyder's probably still got a little more pull in this organization. So you got to pick one person who can simultaneously build a winning football team and instill a culture that overcomes everything that happens in this organization. Jay Gruden, in my opinion, did a really good job of building an innovative football team that could succeed on the field. Not a culture guy. Ron Rivera has done a better job of building this team culture than anyone under Dan Snyder has ever done. But he's just not quite ahead of the curve in terms of football innovation. And so because they're behind on that and they built a defense first team that doesn't have the offense to support a defense, which I think in today's league, like if you want a consistently good defense, you need to have the offense to keep them off the field a lot, which has not been a thing that's happened this so far. And then the unlucky part is they needed a quarterback. And this is where I really feel bad for Honor Barracks. I don't know. We could get into if he's going to get fired or not. I don't know that he will because I think Dan Snyder is incentivized to not fire him. I think this is kind of Dan Snyder's last stand potentially as an owner. I think he's getting a little scared. I don't know if he's going to be gone, but I think he knows what it looks like if he fires Rivera after all the changes they've made. And so I think it could be upsetting if we're still here next year and it's Rivera and once again, but I think it's possible. But I think year one, they had a chance to take a quarterback and I think they kind of wanted to. And the issue was Dan Snyder had drafted Dwayne Haskins and, and, and God bless his soul, but Dwayne Haskins no longer with us was not a great quarterback. Let's just be honest. Um, and I think Dan Snyder forced whoever took this job to go a year with Dwayne Haskins. So Ron Rivera had to agree to that and it didn't work out. So they didn't take their quarterback. They could have, even if it was Tua, maybe it was Justin Herbert, which would have been the good guy to take there. Maybe you're in a different spot. So then year two, you win the division, which hurts them long-term because now you're not in the place to draft a quarterback in a great quarterback class. So what do you do? Well, really the only opportunities they had were trade up for Justin Fields or Mac Jones. They wanted Trey Lance. That went away when the Niners went up to get him. Um, Fields, they ultimately decided wasn't worth trading up for. Um, I don't know. I still think Fields could work out, but as of right now, it doesn't look like it would have been worth it. Mac Jones might have been worth it, but I don't know who you're trading up with because the teams in that range were the Cowboys and the Giants and the Eagles. Free agency, then they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they tried to trade for Matt Stafford, but the Rams outbid him, and uh, quite frankly, I think Stafford rather would play for the Rams than Washington. So then we come year three, and now we really need a quarterback because we haven't gotten one the past two years. Quarterback class sucks. Not going to draft one. Although they did take Sam Howell. They seem to think he's a backup. They're not going to sign a free agent because the fan base is going to erupt. So they go and they dump their chips into Russell Wilson, and again, the guy picks Denver over Washington. Probably smartly. Although I honestly don't know that they're more talented than Washington outside of quarterback, but which we're seeing. You right might now. be better off long term. That that yeah. that might be a yeah. blessing in disguise because yeah, I know it's early, have... but the returns on that, poof, a lot of yeah. investment. So you end up trading for Carson Wentz. And I was not a fan of the trade at the time. A lot of people were. I, I still think it's a bad trade. They can get out of the contract, thank goodness. Um, because I think although he's not the biggest problem for the team, I think he's not the solution either. 
it's just been like they haven't really had an opportunity to acquire a guy. Like it just really hasn't been there. And it's 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 unfortunate because I think that's what coaches kind of comes down to nowadays. You either have a system like Kyle Shanahan where it's so innovative that you can overcome it with a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo who is good enough, or you have to hit on a quarterback. And I don't know that Ron Rivera ever had a shot, quite frankly, and I don't think he's going to get it. Yeah, uh, that's tough. You know, it's interesting that they did go after Wentz in the sense that from one perspective, it makes sense, right? We talked about, we briefly mentioned this, although I think the episode is actually coming out after you hear this, about how the commanders run the Air Coriel system or, you know, like a descendant of that, which which really relies on a lot of downfield passing. And although that's been something that Carson Wentz is actually good at, especially in the modern NFL, those are kind of low percentage throws. And to rely on 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 that, you need a quarterback who's like very efficient at them. And so while he may be good in quotes at throwing them, like I don't think he's ever been an efficient enough quarterback that that's something that you want to feature as your offense when he's there. It it I'm just not sure if we're ever going to see an offense that is truly well suited to what Carson Wentz does right unless it's just so much infrastructure around him that they just don't have to call on him very much do you know what i mean yeah and i actually i actually do think this is the best offense you could have him in because i think it's like the Jameis winston effect like touchdowns are more valuable than interceptions are detrimental so you might as well just lean into the variance and throw the ball downfield a bunch um is that a good thing no it's not great especially when you're paying a guy 28 million dollars a year uh, but it's the best they have, I guess. So here we are. Um, the issue with that is, and I think this is a league-wide thing, I, I think play this year has been, especially the quarterback position, has been not very good. I don't think there are many good teams this season. Teams have figured out that if you just cover zero blitz bad to average quarterbacks like all the time, they just don't play well. Because, <laughs> yeah. And especially Carson Wentz. And this is the funny thing. Like, they played the Eagles in Dallas. Those were his two really, really bad games. Guess what? They just blitzed all game. Oh, the Lions, too. For one half, the Lions blitzed them, and they didn't play well. If the Bears, like, figure out just to blitz them tonight, uh, tomorrow night, like, they're going to lose. Like, But I don't know why teams can't figure this out, but that's it's that's really tough thing is when you're a team that has one clear weakness you can't deal with, and they just can't because – it used to be in the NFL. There's, I, I don't remember the year. The, the Falcons had a defense back in like the seventies or eighties that broke all these records points, defensive points scoring wise, because they were the first team to ever just like send the house on every play. And immediately a, t- a team's the next year figured it out. They like, they invented like the screen and that became a way to beat the blitz. Well, today now teams know all the outs against blitzes and they can kind of build in contingency plans to their zero blitz to deal with them. And depending on what player running at the line and what look you're getting given, if you're a quarterback, there's a lot of different outcomes for your hot route to like how you're going to beat cover zero. And when you're Carson Wentz and you are afraid of pressure, quite frankly, struggle against it, uh, don't make quick decisions. And, and you know, quite he's, he's gotten slower. He's kind of become a statue in the pocket at this point in his career. There's just so much going on that it's become, again, way more difficult for quarterbacks who are, not the best processors, not the best athletes to deal with these excessive rushes that defenses can send at them. Well, if you're, if you're, yeah, you're, you're right. But if you're, I think, you know, 
to give some coaches at least the benefit of the doubt, you do have to realize that you have to have guys who can match up, right, on the back mm-hmm. end. So if you're running cover zero, I mean, you are going man-to-man across the board. So you got to be confident in pretty much all of your guys to cover because if there is one player who is a liability, the other team already is aware of that, right? So that's where mm-hmm. the ball is going. Even if you're just lobbing it up downfield and you know, hoping your your guy beats their guy. So you got to be confident in that. Or if you're not really running cover zero, per se, if you're just, if you're just sending extra pressure, you have to be very confident in your guys handing off effectively because that's one less player, at least one less, if not two less players out in zones, right? So you got to know exactly what you can expect of your coverage players because even a bad quarterback can still make you pay if he just gets the ball there quickly enough. I mean, you don't have to be Tom Brady dissecting teams, right? Like they don't even bother with him because they know that he could do it, but you don't have to be a great quarterback to do that but you're absolutely right bad quarterbacks don't handle the blitz well I can't tell you how many games I've seen where it's like the the game is almost over before it even starts because once they get down by a score they just start sending pressure and everything just falls apart but you just you've got to have that that secondary you've got to have linebackers who can cover and it's it's you know it's not just a screen it's a it's any short pass or you know high trajectory throw like rainbow moon ball throw where you have a a true liability and coverage that can quickly end the day for you like that because like you said the value of a touchdown is is higher than the detriment of an interception or 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 even just a a sack or an incompletion or whatever the case it might be um or or even a strip sack so like from a defensive uh from an offensive side of the ball, like, or excuse me, from a defensive side of the ball, you also have to be aware of that too. Giving up explosive plays is how you quickly lose in the NFL. So I, I hear you, I hear you, but I just think it's like it's you've got to have guys that you're confident in if you want to play that way. Yeah, and I, I think Wentz lacks, you know, the confidence in his players. I think in his decision making too. You see a lot of pre-snap failures from him throughout the year already that I think a lot of fans miss on because it's more complex stuff uh but it's definitely there he didn't have terry mclaurin for much of the offseason because they were still dealing with the contract thing so they're still kind of working out their um uh, what do you call it? chemistry as, as pass mm-hmm. catchers i think he and john dotson have been good but curtis samuel also has was dealing with an injury for much of the offseason and that's also kind of still getting figured out and they've had some injuries at tight end um it's just been it's been difficult to get him right in a rhythm and i think you know, that's why you hear about Ron Rivera this week, talk about the quarterback position fitting in and it got blown out of proportion. Like he was throwing one under the bus. I think what he really meant. And I think he, he made a mess up. Like, you know, as a coach, you can't say that as your answer, like that's, it's going to backfire. But what he meant was they just really haven't had a chance to gel one and two fit the offense around Wentz. And even if that were the case, it might look better. I'm not certain that they would be be great because, again, I, I don't really believe in Wentz, but I think it's why it's looked as rough as it has early on. Um, but an interesting dichotomy with blitz is because, you know, we talk about bad quarterbacks struggling against blitz. It's interesting now in the NFL, like one of the things you just can't do against Patrick Mahomes is blitz. Like mm-hmm. the good quarterbacks eat up blitzes. They, they just they, they destroy them. So that's why I think you see teams like not figure that out against a team like the Panthers is they're used to not blitzing against good teams. But then it's kind of reverse psychology like against a bad team. Like you really do want to blitz. 
Well, is it really that simple? I mean, can't don't don't shouldn't we expect a little bit more out of NFL coaches to to like recognize the 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 stark difference between a Carson Wentz and a Patrick Mahomes in their defensive game plan? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I it just I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think people overthink things, quite frankly, a lot of the time. You're not going to blitz every play. Um, you're not going to blitz every play. But I think the early down thing is still a, a not can, can uh, like a main strategy in the NFL where teams need to focus have figured out sorry have figured out how to focus on if we get ahead on first and second down, third down, we're going to have an advantage in terms of play calling. Teams haven't figured that out. There's still teams playing like, oh, we just got to rally and make a tackle, and if we get a third and three, like, okay, well, now we just got to make a stop. And it's like, well, yeah, but now they have their whole playbook. So the defenses that have figured out how to put offenses more often in those third and nine, third and ten scenarios are the ones that benefit more from the ability to blitz a bad quarterback. And I think against Washington in particular, it happens to be every defense because this very injured <laughs> offensive line uh, has a holding or offensive or offsides, false start, every other play. So they're always behind the sticks. Yeah, just do it for them. Do it. Do it for you. Well, I love. I love seeing teams get get really aggressive on first down because you know one of the ways that teams have been doing that, and and um, I, I was impressed by was especially with Phil Snow last year was one of the places I saw it early. It's like they were just selling out with a blitz, even if it's a, a run. They they don't even tell their guys to just rally to the to the ball carrier because if it's play action they are just going to light the quarterback up. So like if you consistently do that, you're kind of taking the the play the rollout play action game completely out of the playbook because like if you are just guaranteeing that your quarterback gets crushed because the defender's on him before you can even turn around, then you just can't do it right. Like you, you can't like so if you do play action, it's got to be super quick, but. I think I think the strategy to, to get aggressive on first down and really um, try and put a team in a bad position on second and long and then third and long is probably better value for you than just trying to play comfortably and end up, like you said, in, in third and three or whatever. You know what I mean? Or if, if they convert a single first down on first down, it's not a big deal, right? You know, you're you're better off playing for the big play. I don't know about the first down numbers, but I do know Washington with Scott Turner as an offensive coordinator has led the league by a good margin in second and long run attempts. So that's going to hurt you because you're going to be facing like basically third and seven every time you run the ball. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's a big part of it is they haven't figured this out. on the offensive So side. let's talk about this game coming up. The spread is zero, like straight zero. Yeah. So I, that, when I, when I first popped on, I opened up the page and I think I had a look on my face because I haven't seen that in a while. But the Bears are neither favored um, nor are the commanders. So obviously Vegas doesn't really know how they feel about this game. I mean, um, that's all you really need to see. Okay. In terms of this direct matchup, the Bears offense is about as one-dimensional as any offense is. Uh, in the NFL right now, um, how are the Commanders versus the run? I mean, are are they going to be able to shut that down and and They're, force Fields to 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 try and beat them? So even though they've been pretty much bottom ten efficiency by every passing statistic, they're actually 
pretty stout up front against the run. They've been doing well against that ever since the uh, Lions game. They, they figured it out and they got it. That was such a bad game. They decided they really needed to figure it out and they have shutting down the run. They had a, not as good of a game against the Titans last week, but I think for the most part, they limited that offense. And it, of course it runs through Derrick Henry. So mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't be concerned about that. If I'm Washington's defense, the thing that concerns me is the play action, because that's just the one way that, you know, people say you have to use the run to set the pass. That's true in all cases, except for play action, because the way you play play action as a defense is you react to run first and then whatever happens next, you got to figure out. So I could see a scenario where the Bears just throw out a lot of play action. They don't even run the ball a whole lot. And this Washington defense, which I honestly think on the back end is pretty solid. They just blow like a big coverage once a game and give up a 60 yard throw. It'll happen eventually. And I, I, I don't know why, specifically they have that problem it might be a communication thing it was worse before cam curl came back and he's kind of the play caller that secondary william jackson has had a fair share of issues and they benched him last week so maybe that's why that'll be better after that because benjamin st juice has been good um but if you're the bears you need to hit some play action shots in this game i think to, to put up points so i i mean it's funny because if that's the case, don't you think you should? I mean, all right. So let's just get into the defensive line here. I think one of the other ways that you can you can work against play action is if you just send everybody with basically hair on fire play style. Then you can also kind of functionally work against play action in the same way that you that you would if you were sending pressure because you get guys in the backfield so quickly that even if it even if it's play action there's still a guy like getting up on the quarterback relatively quickly because offensive line no matter how good they are they they can't protect that kind of effort on every single play they they rely on the fact that defenders don't go all out on on every play um you know what I mean to, to basically not give up a lot of pressure. So the problem for the commanders is, and this is something else that we talked about earlier in the, uh, in the off season before the season started was they don't necessarily have the depth to play like that either. So how do you expect them to hold up against play action? What do you think that their strategy will be? Um, so they like to go into the Cinco package a lot. Um, it's been tougher now that they had the injury to Fedarian Mathis. F.A. Obata has kind of stepped in as an interior player, and he's been pretty solid. And being able to kind of use him as a versatile line piece and go wide against the O-line in the Senko package is a useful strategy against teams running a lot of zone. Um, I'm not certain about the Bears' run splits uh, in terms of like what type of runs they use a lot of, but I know because of Fields' rushing ability, I'm certain they do run you know a good amount of read option. And that will give them an advantage against that in particular. It's it's tough because I don't think it quite frankly matters if the Bears can take advantage of a blown coverage. It's going to be there whether the pressure gets home or not because this team has been able to pressure the quarterback. They've had a really hard time finishing, and that's been a problem seemingly since I was a child. <laughs> They've always had good edge rushers who can rack up pressures but just can't get home for sacks. Um, and that it continues to be a problem. It wasn't a problem last week against the Titans. They had five sacks last week. Um, obviously, they still lost. But um, Fields' ability to escape 
the pocket and his mobility could present an issue on top of that. I think the Bears need to lean into that as well because I can just see it now where two Washington defenders are sandwiching around fields and he's going to spin out of it and, and you know, jog left and throw it to a open receiver four yards downfield, as, I, as, as, as has happened many times. Yeah, well, he certainly has the physical ability to do that. Um, you know, he can make all the off-platform throws. He can launch the ball as far as it needs to go. Um, and he has a very catchable ball downfield, too. He's, he's actually one of the more pretty downfield passers that I feel like I've seen in a long time. Is, is it, I talked about this with Kyron. I don't think you've heard this conversation yet. So because the Bears are relevant in this conversation, I just want to throw it in there and get what your take is. Because I understand that there, there were questions about Fields' maturity or his work ethic or whatever before the draft. A lot of people said that was smoke. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But I will just say this. There must be something because if you have a player as physically talented as him, when you have the 49ers giving up all of these assets and moving up to third overall, and you want to tell me that you're taking a player who played FCS college ball for basically barely a season with that draft pick versus Justin Fields, who by all measurable standards is marginally less of an athlete and a thrower and and the whole nine yards. I mean, we know that Trey Lance is a project. We know he is. So why wouldn't you take the player who's played SEC and Big Ten college football and played in huge games, right? It's, it's, there is something there. I mean, we are talking about two players with both, who both have all world physical traits and one has played on the biggest stages and the other one's barely played. And you went with that one versus the other one. There's got to be something there. I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, because maybe it's speculation before the draft, but that to me is as much proof as you need that teams view this player as having some kind of lack to have those traits and, and to fall to where he did. That's just my personal opinion. I actually was always thinking that that, pre-draft discussion was was completely overblown i think he's a great dude i think he's a hard worker i think you can see in terms of his fitness and the type of time he puts into football that i don't i don't have character concerns with justin fields i think we saw this last year if the discussion is about athleticism we see teams all the time go for slightly better athlete athletes just over everything else that with Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hudson this past year. Like there were no other reasons besides that a slightly better athleticism that you would like Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. Yet the Jaguars decided to go for it. Um, so teams do, they do that. Um, and I also think Trey Lance, quite frankly, like fit in that offense a little bit better than fields fields has. I misscouted him. I will admit that fields has a very clear issue in terms of processing on the field. And that's his problem right now. And I think the Bears don't believe that he's going to be able to get a fix. And that's why we're, they are where he's where they're at. He, at Ohio State, and now, you can clearly see if you get all 22 and you just break down his film, this is a guy that consistently has his first read and struggles to get off of it. And it's tough because there were second window throws at Ohio State, and when he made them, they were fantastic and it kind of covered up the issues because you were like oh well there's a great throw where he gets off his first read you're like okay well he can do it 
it just didn't happen enough that it actually translates to the NFL. And I think that offense is so good at getting receivers wide open that the comfortability for a quarterback to just kind of stand in the pocket, they've had pretty talented offensive lines, know that his first round receiver is going to get open and hit him in stride. And Fields is very accurate. Like that's never been a problem. This guy throws, like you said, like very catchable ball, pretty deep ball. Like this guy is super accurate athlete. He checks all the boxes. He just doesn't quite have the NFL quarterback mental acuity yet. And quite frankly, I think he's been hurt by the fact that they have a new coaching staff. And I think it's unfortunate because they didn't pick him. He's a guy that I just think needs needs to go somewhere else, quite frankly. And, and I think then our answers will be que- questions will be answered. He needs an offensive coach who believes in him. And I don't think he's getting it in Chicago. Um, I don't think a lot of the teams in the NFL really had that at the time of the draft. And I think that's why you heard kind of negative things about him. Because at the end of the day, the, the, the quarterback's a very mental position. And teams are afraid to try and have to develop that side of it because if you try and it's very clear that a guy like for example Jamarcus Russell like very clear that that guy like from like a work ethic and like ability to learn the game standpoint like there are all sorts of stories you can look them up on all the internet like that guy was not an NFL quarterback he was out quickly he didn't have the leadership skills it wasn't there Fields if if that's the case with Fields, like I think you would be hearing about it, right? Like Russell had rumors early in his career that it wasn't working out. Um and I just I don't know. I, I think this is just a guy that hasn't really had his chance yet. And I think teams are afraid of it because of guys like Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, well, I, I I mean, I get that, but I'm also, what, what I was trying to imply is, I don't even know if necessarily it's the fact was that, I understand that some of that might have been smoke or might have been BS or whatever about about his, his work ethic, you know, because clearly he does dedicate a lot of time to, to like, you know, his training. I mean, he's a specimen. So it's not necessarily that, it's more that there's just got to be something that knocked him down boards for these teams, because A... A team that did sell out and go crazy. I mean, first of all, he he already went behind Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. So say what you want about that. I mean, I think there there's legitimate arguments for both of those guys just based on their acumen and physical ability as well. But I think when you get to a player like Trey Lance, who when I say marginally better athlete, I mean marginally better. I mean Trey Lance is what six four versus Justin Fields six three. Do they run a different forty time? Uh, frankly, I doubt it. I, they, they, faster. yeah, exactly. Fields so faster. I think Lance is a stronger arm, which yeah, like, but Fields is more accurate. And we're talking about yeah. Fields having one of the better arms probably in the NFL, probably top 10. So it's like, at what point are we, are we going to stop chasing uh, this like, you know, elite physical traits when you have another one right next to you. And then you throw in the fact that he played FCS football, right? And a very good program. Sure. But played FCS football didn't even play his senior year because of COVID. You know what I mean? So you're taking a huge leap of faith with this guy that he's going to, he's, he's he, you're going to have to develop him. You're talking about developing, like you're going to have to develop him. I'm, I'm just saying there's, 
it doesn't pass the logic test. There's something there. And again, maybe it's not personality. Maybe it's just how they view his ability to learn NFL offenses. But I mean, that like, I don't think that you can put all that stuff together and not come to the conclusion that there, that there was something big. Yeah, you know what? You're, I'm gonna be honest with you. You're kind of convincing me right now. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I have a great comeback. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's true because I was, I had this guy number two on my board, and I have the same information that you do, and I didn't understand it either at the time, and I still don't, and I don't know why it's not working. I know Chicago probably, if I were to pick it, it's either them or the Texans have the worst roster in the NFL. So I think that's kind of been something we've kind of looked at as like a reason. But if he was really good, you would see it more often than you do. And it's just not there right now at all. I, I just – go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I could, I'll, I'll jump back. It's, it's just upsetting because I feel like there are simple things you could do with this game that should make him good. And, I, you know, everyone talked about Matt Nagy not using his running ability much. Well, they're doing it now. They're certainly using his running ability now with Eber Plus. It's a run-based offense. It's all they're doing. And it's still not really opening up much for them. Yeah. I think I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist here, but it's just because I valued him so highly based on a number of different things, the physical traits, but more than anything, it's it's his ability to throw the ball downfield and his running ability. I mean, like... Those two things, if you look at some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, they both have that in spades. I mean, you got you got um, Josh Allen, you got Justin Field, I mean, um, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, these guys can put the ball downfield on a dime, rocket arms, and they can both just crush you with their legs because, you know, when you're trying to respect that, it just leaves space underneath for you. For you. Um, so I just I thought if there's a guy who can use all of those traits to be that kind of player, it's Fields in that draft, right? Like, he was that guy who had that. And he obviously had, you know, the experience as well. But the accuracy, too. Now, I will say it's like there's a few little things here and there. Like, his release is like, it's it's one of the slower releases that I've seen. It's like very Cam Newton-esque. Like, he really brings the ball, like, all the way back, like behind his hip before it comes up around. So that, that doesn't help. I mean, it, it, it keys, it gives the defenders an opportunity to key in on, on when he's throwing the ball, they can get up at the line, they can dri- drive on, you know, their, their receiver or whatever the case may be, but that's not, that's not really the big thing. So it's just like, if you're ignoring all of that to take a guy who's played, who played in his college career, what did he play? Like 14 total games or something like that. To, it just it just doesn't pass the smell test for me. That's all. Well, it's actually two seasons. So, oh well, yeah, they had the COVID. So it's probably like twenty total games. But still, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. We might learn some stuff about that. I don't know if it's going to be this year because I think I do think he might end up getting traded from Chicago somewhere else. But it might be interesting to look back on and, and see what we learn from this whole thing because he he really does. It just—it seems like a dream from an offensive coordinator's perspective. It just—I don't know—it's not coming together. All right, so let's uh, let's flip the script because we've been talking for about <laughs> over a half hour now, and we haven't even talked yeah. about 
commander's offense versus the Bears defense at all. So Iberflus comes over. He's defensive coordinator for the Colts. Ran a lot of cover two, not just not just too high, as is the trend, but a lot of cover two specifically. And they go out and they target some defensive players in the draft. They know that they're trying to find a pass rusher up the middle. Doesn't really work out. So they settle for the very talented players in the secondary with their first couple of picks. So the defense has probably been the better unit, no doubt, for for the Bears. But still, I think if there's an opportunity for Carson Wentz to get right, this would be it. How do you foresee this matchup going? I think I think Wentz is going to have a, another good game this week. I think he had a good one last week outside of a, a big mistake at the end. And I, I think they'll be able to move the ball. I'm concerned about their ability to run the ball against basically every team they play just because of who they have up front. And the lack of a Bears interior pass rusher that can really affect the game helps them because, quite frankly, fans of Washington have really said they have problems at tackle. I actually think their tackles are pretty good. It's the interior that has really been a struggle for them. And if the interior is going to basically get a week off here, they, they, who's the best player the Bears have in the middle? Is like Bilal Nichols or something like that? Like they made they made a free agent signing for somebody who I can't remember, but they, they have somebody else. They originally signed the guy from Cincinnati, and he didn't end up signing with them because of some physical thing. But effectively, this is going to be the weakest interior Washington's got up against this year. Um, if they don't move the ball this game. I will have no like answer as to why. Because I just think in terms of matchups, like the way you hurt this team is interior pressure. The Bears don't have that. And then you need many corners because they have weapons. And the Bears have not the worst corners in the league, but they don't really have the best depth. And then Washington, in my opinion, runs actually a pretty effective play-action game. And if they're not going to have any problems from the interior, I, I just think they'll be free to do that. And Terry McLaurin is good enough that he'll match up well with any corner the Bears throw out there. And if they they decide to double him, like I feel faithful in the fact that Curtis Samuel, who's quietly had a very good year, can make plays on his own. They might not have Jahan Dotson and Logan Thomas in the game, and I, I still feel like if they don't at least score 24 points, it's it's – it's a disaster. Like I just, they have to score against this team. Like you just roster versus roster. You should not struggle against this defense. In my opinion. All right. I'm going to call an end to this because it's the longest (laughs) primetime preview that I've ever done. (laughs) But um, that's 100% because I got on my Justin Fields soapbox there. So, all right. Bears plus zero commanders plus zero. Who do you have in this game? Look, I like the Commanders. I think it's going to end up being ugly. I think they ultimately find a way not to score points, and I think this is going to be another bad Thursday game. And I'm sorry everyone has to watch it. I, you know, but I, look, I think that they're going to win, and they they should win by considerable amount because I do think this roster is better. But I think they'll find a way to make it close and make it look bad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel the same as Vegas about this game. I really don't know who I want to pick. I I'll go. I'll go with the Commanders because I think they just they still have a hope for the season at this point. You know what I mean? I think they're still they're still fighting for something. I think the Bears are in full on rebuild mode and they've kind of 
just accepted that to some degree. They kind of accepted it before the season, if we're being perfectly honest. So I think the commanders are just. But the thing I think it's underrated here is the players in Washington have not quit on Ron Rivera yet. Yet. Mm -hmm. Could after this Mm -hmm. game, but they haven't yet. And they're gonna they're gonna play hard until if the bottom falls out. So, well, I will say this: if the New York Jets, and this may be premature, but if the New York Jets can turn things around and actually put things together and field a good football team of young players, anybody can do it. So there is hope. <laughs> All right, man. Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, well, I'm on Gridiron Heroics doing updating different draft articles every week. We have a recap of previous uh, draft matchups from the college weekend as well as a preview of ones coming upcoming. You can check that out on the – it should be on the college football page. But if not, just look up draft in the search box there, and that article will pop up. At Nicholas Sports on Twitter and follow Sports Info Solutions as well uh, as we collect data and have new information every week. All right, Beetle, thank you very much, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you all so much for listening to our big midweek episode. Now, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Tomorrow, we will be back with our Thursday draft episode, which means we're going to be talking about rookies and 2023 prospects with Nick Miriam and Owen McCuller. And then Friday will be our Pick'em show. So, please follow, like, subscribe, review, rate, anything you can always helps us tremendously. So we appreciate you and we will see you all very soon.